Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We want to spend the hour today talking about the economy. It has been a really, really long time that we've had a period of growth, of rebound from the Great Recession and expansion in the economy. That has a lot of people sort of sitting around thinking, well, can this go on forever? Will this last forever? Or are we overdue for a correction or maybe worse, something even more dramatic, another big recession? We want to talk first with uh, an economist who's on the left side of this equation. Then later in the show, we're going to talk to someone who is on the right side of that equation. And of course, we want to hear from you. Are you worried about your own economic future? Were you a victim of the last recession? What did that mean for you and your family? And are you sitting around now trying to think of ways to mitigate the effects of the next slowdown, the next economic correction on your lives? We all know that the economy can't grow forever. I mean, that that would be an absurdity. Some economists have said publicly that they think there are already signs of another recession just around the corner. In a recent interview with Business Insider, a major investor said he thinks a recession is going to hit later this year that will be bigger than the one we experienced a decade ago. And he worries that Western civilization and countries like the United States can't handle something that big right now. Are the markers of a looming economic downturn there? What would it mean for states like Michigan? We're going to hear again from a couple of uh, economists, one on the left, one on the right uh, today about that. And we want to hear from you. What are you thinking about the economy? What are you thinking about the economy in the context of the things that President Donald Trump is talking about doing about the economy. Think about the tax cuts that he wants to affect. What effect would they have on our economy? Think about the infrastructure plan that he rolled out last week, that major spending on bridges and roads and sewers and things like that. Might that jumpstart an economy that uh, that shows signs of going into a recession. These are things that, of course, we all talk about around our kitchen tables in the sort of cliched uh, parlance that uh, that people use when they talk about the economy. But they're the things that we live with. They are really important decisions that unfold around us and affect our lives. Uh, what are you feeling about this economy? Think about the things that we're seeing in the stock market if you own stocks or involved in uh, mutual funds or your 401k, think of how well they've done in the last eight to 10 years. Are you worried that maybe, maybe you don't uh, see that sustain itself over time? Again, uh, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. We definitely want to hear from listeners all hour about this subject, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDT Facebook page and put your comments there. Go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Tell us how you are feeling about the economic circumstances we face today and the economic circumstances we might be facing soon. Joining me now to help frame out this conversation is Dean Baker. He is the co-director of the Center for Economic Policy, Economic and Policy Research. He received his PhD in economics from the University of Michigan. Dean, welcome to Detroit Today. 
Thanks a lot for having me on. Yeah. Uh, let's start with the, the big question here. Uh, the, the period of growth that we've seen since the Great Recession has been uh, slow in the sense that it hasn't been nearly as dramatic as other periods of growth in American history. Uh, but it's been long. It's been very long. Uh, are, we, are we overdue for some sort of correction? Well, I'm going to be a relative optimist here. First, just to situate my, I'm usually not in the optimist position. I was one of the people (laughs) warning about the housing bubble saying it's going to lead to a recession, likely a bad one. And for that matter, back in 98, 99, I was talking about the stock bubble that was going to burst. And of course, it did and gave us the recession in 2001. So I'm not generally the optimist. But what I'll say is that I don't see a recession on the horizon. And the reason is simple. We, We get recessions for two reasons, two causes. One is the Federal Reserve Board worried about inflation raises interest rates too much to slow the economy, and that gives us a downturn. That was the story in the 81-82 recession, which was, of course, very severe, particularly in recession in Michigan. Uh, the 1990 recession, the 74-70, you know, I can go back. That's mm-hmm. generally the story of a recession. The Fed raises interest rates a lot, and that gives us a recession. The other story is what we had both in 2001 and 2008, 2009, a collapsing asset bubble. And for that to happen, you have to have an asset bubble. And at the moment, I don't see one. House prices are a little high. I don't see a bubble there. The stock market is somewhat high. Um, but it's not driving the economy the way it did back in 98, 99, and 2000. So I'm not worried about a bubble bursting causing the recession. The Fed is raising interest rates, but they're being very gradual, very moderate about it. So unless they really change their course, which I don't think is likely, but unless they really change their course, I don't see us getting a recession through the traditional method of Fed raising interest rates, slowing the economy, giving us a recession. So for those reasons, I I just don't see one on the horizon, which, again, doesn't mean we'll never have one. I'm quite sure we will but probably not this year and quite likely probably not next year. Yeah. Uh, and, and so what are the things then that, that we need to do or think about to sustain that growth, I guess, to push, to push back uh, the, the inevitable uh, downturn? Uh, it, or, or do we need to just do nothing, just sort of ride the wave? There? Well, I guess that's a couple of things. One is – we don't want a self-inflicted wound, and here the Federal Reserve Board raising rates could be that. I, you know, they're probably going to raise rates this week. I don't mean to say a quarter point this month is going to do it. It, it. The question is a sequence of rate hikes. So do they start raising rates a half point a turn? Do they do it every meeting? They certainly could do it. Um, again, I don't think they're about to, but if they get excessively concerned about inflation, when, you know, to my view, inflation's under their target. I mean, you know, we've had periods in the past, in 81, 82, they're looking at double-digit inflation. It got almost that high back in the 70s. So we've had had times where inflation was certainly a problem. You could say, okay, the Fed's got to do something. We're not in that story now, so I don't think they'll overreact. But that is something people should be watching the Fed. Why are they raising rates? Are they raising them more than necessary? Because that definitely does slow the economy. The other point is, I was saying, we don't have bubbles now, or at least bubbles driving the economy, we have to be wary of that. And, you know, it was a source of great frustration to me that no one took the stock bubble seriously. And, you know, frankly, I think the recession in 2001 was actually a very severe one. I, mean, yes. I know the data, but, you know, if you look at it from the standpoint of employment rather than the labor market, we lost jobs all through 2002 and most of the way through 2003. The, the recession officially ended in December of 2001, but for another year and two-thirds, we were still losing jobs. So that was a bad recession where most people live, in a sense, jobs. You know, that was a really bad recession. That was because, you know, stock bubble burst, and it's not easy to recover from that. And then, 
Of course, the housing bubble, I don't have to tell anyone, that was a really bad recession. We all know that, and in a lot of ways, we still haven't recovered. So I worry about asset bubbles. Again, I don't see them now, but that doesn't mean they can't arise. And, you know, this is the job of regulators, you know, our good, bad loans being made, and first and foremost, the Fed, that they should be having their eye on this. And that doesn't mean raising interest rates, but they should be talking about it, writing about it. Um, I was very happy Janet Yellen a couple of years ago in her mm-hmm. testimony before Congress made a point of saying she was looking at some sectors in the stock market. She identified social media companies, biotech companies, junk bonds. She said, I'm worried that there are bubbles there. She released data making that point. Um, I think that was a test, but that's what the Fed should be doing if you start to see bubbles growing in a dangerous way. They should be calling attention to it, releasing data on it, documenting this, and trying to press the case every, every chance they get to say this is a big problem and we're prepared to take action and reverse it. So you're going to lose money if you bet on this bubble. Right. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Uh, my guest is Dean Baker. He's a co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research, received his Ph.D. in economics from the University of Michigan. We're talking about the economy, the growth that we have seen uh, in the economy since the Great Recession uh, without a cooling-off period, without a correction uh, without a bubble bursting, uh, how long can that last? Uh, there are some economists who say that uh, this is the year when we will see another downturn. Dean Maker just talked about how he does not see that as uh, something that will happen, that we're not doing the same things that led to the Great Recession uh, 10 years ago or the recession in 2001. What do you think about the economy? What's on your mind uh, when you sit down and try to plan for your financial future, when you try to think about sending your kids to college or buying another house right now, uh, what are you thinking about when you when you make those calculations? What parts of the economy seem to you to be in good shape? Are there things that you see that maybe portend uh, that correction that might take money out of your wallet? Also, what do you think about what the new president says he wants to do with regard to the economy? He's put a number of ideas on the table, hasn't gotten any of them affected yet, but they would all have some influence over that economic picture. 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Uh, or you can go to uh, Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Let's uh, go to the phones here. Dan on Woodward. Dan, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, hi. Uh, just a quick question. Um, your commentator said there's no asset bubble in the U.S., uh, but clearly there's one in China, the same kind of housing bubble that we saw burst in, in our country. If that burst in China, what are the repercussions here in the U.S.? Yeah, great question, Dan. Thanks very much for the call. Uh, Dean Baker, what, what about the sort of world economic picture uh, some of the things we see in Europe, some instability there. Uh, as Dan points out, there's a housing bubble in China. What if that goes south? Would those things change your prognosis for the American economy? Well, they can have some effect. I mean, they aren't enough to lead to a recession. Um, the U.S., even though obviously trades a much larger share of the economy than it used to be, it's still less than 20% of GDP, which is a lot. But you just go, okay, suppose that falls by 10%, our exports fall by 10%. That would be a huge amount to fall. That's still only 2 percentage points of GDP. That definitely slows the economy 
but that's probably not a recession, particularly if you envision the Fed and ideally uh, Congress responding with some stimulus, but at least the Fed responding. That probably wouldn't give us a recession. That's a very, very extreme story. I mean, 10% drop in exports really would sure. be quite extreme. The story with China, you know, I'll just say I claim zero expertise on China, but I've heard people predicting a, a financial collapses there for two decades. I mean, people I grabbed on the street, I mean, supposedly China experts, they've been wrong. So I guess I just have a lot of confidence in, in their government's ability to work through their, their asset bubble. And I, I think the call is right. I think they do have a housing bubble uh, from, you know, at least my understanding of you know, the nature of their housing market. But They've managed to go, you know, basically, you know, 35 years without a, a downturn. Again, we question their numbers. They're not exactly right. Everyone knows they fudge them. But I don't think, you know, I don't think you could hide a recession. You know, they're reporting 6, 7, 8, 10% growth. If your economy is actually shrinking, that's an awful lot of data massaging. So I'm reasonably confident that whatever happens there, it's not going to lead to any sort of major collapse. What, what about things in this country like uh, when I read about uh, the the, the supposed softness in in the auto loan market, right? Uh, the the number of loans that have been given out uh, almost resemble, at least in pattern, if not in scale and scope, uh, the things we did that led to the to the housing uh, the housing bubble. What about things like uh, what I read about the amount of college debt uh, that's out there? Are, are those things that that threaten the growth that we're seeing now? Well. A couple points here. First, on the auto loans, I mean, it really is just kind of shameful. I mean, the, the auto dealers managed to get an exemption in the Dodd-Frank bill, so the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau doesn't cover the, the car dealers. It right. does cover the loans in principle, but the dealers could tell you anything, and they, from what I understand, they often do. So you have a lot of bad loans being issued there that are going bad, and this is disproportionately lower-income people, disproportionately people of color. It's just, you know, it's horrible. We just saw this with subprime housing and get it again yes. with autos. Now, that's a really horrible story. Is that likely to lead to a recession? No. I mean, it leads to some softness in demand for autos because what you're seeing is a glut of used cars as these uh, repossessed vehicles come on the market, which, of course, puts some downward pressure on new car buying. If right. you get a used car very cheap, you aren't going to buy a new car. So that, that dampens growth, but I don't see that as being enough to create a recession at all. Uh, the, the auto industry, better or worse, just isn't that large a sector of the economy anymore, and furthermore, a lot of it's imported. So you know, so I don't see that as being a recession, but it, it certainly dampens growth. The, yeah. the point about student loans, the issue here is the, the, the change. So we're seeing growth in, in uh, college debt, student debt. And this certainly impairs people's ability when they get out of school to, to buy a house, you know, start a family. Uh, the, you know, it's definitely bad news for students, and we should be talking about how you could look to alleviate the debt. You know, something that came up in the campaigns. I don't think the Trump administration is looking in that direction, but I think that is something we should be doing. But in terms of is that going to lead to a recession, uh, I've heard people talk about, oh, there's a bubble in the market. It, that market doesn't work like the housing market. I mean, in the case of the housing market, Loans go bad, houses are foreclosed, drives down the price of other houses. That causes more loans to go bad because sure. people are now underwater. I couldn't imagine, what does that story look like with student loans? I mean, you have people in a bad situation, and it's really bad for those people. I don't mean to trivialize that at all, but I just don't see how that leads to – you can't have the sort of cumulative downward spiral that gave us the financial crisis. Yeah. Uh, Derek on Twitter says, I'm a very cautious guy, but I think it is en vogue – to talk about the next downturn, I don't see it. Uh, so, Derek, agreeing with you, uh, Dean Baker, about uh, the, the various signals that we're getting 
from the economy right now. Let's go to Dwight. Uh, Dwight, who is driving, uh, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, hello, Stephen, and uh, welcome to your guest. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I am a candidate in the Michigan House in District 1, Burgess Dwight Foster here. Uh-huh. I was wondering two-pronged questions, Stephen, and to the guest. Um, one, what is the percentage of small businesses in our U.S. economy? We know that the small businesses have gotten a larger share of our U.S. economy, but I'm wondering if the economists can give us a, a general concrete number. You know, it, a lot depends on how you describe small businesses. It also depends on how you, you know, how you're measuring the economy. The small businesses are responsible for a lot larger share of employment than they are of output. So you have companies like Apple that, well, they don't employ all that many people relative to their size, but they, they, they're responsible for a huge amount of value added. So it's customary to refer to small businesses as employing less than 250. 250 workers, right. and that's probably about 60 or 70% of the labor force today. And they probably account, these are very rough numbers. My guess would be probably about 40 to 50% of the, the GDP. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Dwight, did you have another question? I, I don't remember. Are you there? Uh, can something be done in the federal government to drive more small business lending? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, there have been a lot of efforts to drive small business lending, and they often have mixed results because, you know, of course, you could always have more lending, but you want to make sure that it's good lending. In other words, sure. we, we, we don't want to make a lot of loans that then go bad. So, you know, there are a lot of efforts to try and promote small businesses, make it easier for them to borrow, but the, the, the flip side of that is you want to make sure that there's still good loans. So there's always more things that could be done, but I'm not sure that there's sort of a silver bullet there where we could just turn around and there's a lot more capital for small businesses that need it. Yeah, Uh, Dwight, thanks very much for the call. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is uh, Dean Baker. He's the co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research, uh, a Ph.D. recipient from the University of Michigan in economics. We're talking about the economy, uh, the growth that we've seen over the last decade or so since the Great Recession. Is it something that we're going to see sustain itself uh, in the immediate future? Some economists saying there's some softness out there and that we are overdue for a downturn or a correction. Dean Baker says he doesn't see those things and that uh, we don't have the kind of bubble activity in the real estate market, for instance, that led to the last recession. Uh, We want to hear from you about how you're feeling about the economy. How are you seeing the things that go on uh, in economic terms right now affect you and your family, your budget? Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work your comments into the conversation. Dean, I want to talk about sort of a bigger picture economic questions. Uh, the 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 growth of income inequality uh, in in our in our country, uh, the uh, the difficulty we've had finding solutions to the disappearance of work, uh, particularly in urban areas like Detroit. Uh, in, in large terms, these are threats to the economic system we have, no question. Uh, and, and I'm wondering if you think uh, they also then have potential consequences for the immediate economic picture. Are these things we should be thinking about uh, policy-wise? Yeah, well, certainly the growth in income inequality is a huge, huge issue. And this is, you know, people 
sometimes talk about like, well, who cares if you know Bill Gates gets very rich? Well, we could argue whether that's a good or bad thing, but the point is he's getting rich has meant that a lot of other people aren't able to make ends meet. So it's not just that it's not that we've had a very rapidly growing economy and Bill Gates got more than his share. It's that we had a actually fairly slow growing economy and Bill Gates I mean to keep picking Bill Gates, but the very wealthy have been getting a disproportionate share of that. So that's a huge deal. Um, in terms of you know the explanations, there's a lot. You know, uh, certainly the decline of unions that's big in Michigan, big lots of places around the country. Trade has certainly been a big factor. Um, the financialization of the economy. A lot of the highest incomes are on Wall Street. The people doing uh, trading back and forth, I and mean, some of those people make tens of millions, even hundreds of millions a year. So there's a lot of different factors. Not a single one I could point to, but you know a lot of things are important. I was mentioning the Fed earlier when the Fed raises interest rates, keeps slows the economy, keeps people from getting jobs. That also keeps a lot of workers from getting pay increases because in a weaker labor market, it's harder to push for a pay increase. So so those are all big factors. Now, how does that come back and affect the overall economy? One of the stories that you know a lot of economists are, are now saying, a lot of very centrist, so it's not just sort of a left-wing thing, a lot of economists are pointing to this idea of secular stagnation. We don't have enough demand in the economy to get the economy to full employment. And a part of that story is that when you shift money from low- and middle-income people who tend to spend most of their income and you give it to, to the very wealthy who save a lot of it, you end up losing demand in the economy. So I think that's been a factor. Now, again, this doesn't change a lot overnight in the sense that income distribution isn't likely to be a lot worse in 2018 than it was in 2017. Sure. But over time, that almost certainly has been a factor that's reduced demand for goods and services, which has meant slower GDP growth, less employment. Yeah. Uh, the employment picture also depends quite heavily now on training skill. Uh, the, uh, here in Michigan, for instance, there are a lot of jobs that are going unfilled because there are not enough people who have the requisite uh, uh, skills to be able to do them. It seems like that's something that we don't talk much about being able to, to sort of move the needle on. Uh, what's the, you know, what are we supposed to do, I guess, is always the question. Uh, everyone seems to acknowledge that we have this incredible skill gap, but we never seem to, to, to be narrowing it. Well, I think that, you, you know, there, certainly we want a better skilled workforce. And, you know, if anyone ever asked me what, what they should do to improve their job prospects, well, get more skills, more education. You know, clearly you're better off if you have an associate's degree than just a high school degree, if you have a bachelor's degree than just a, so, you know, more skills, the better your job prospects. are no doubt about it. But I think the story of a skill shortage really is overplayed. And my main reason for saying that is if you look at what's going on with wages, we don't see rapidly rising wages in really any major sector of the economy. So if you look at it by industry, you look at it by occupation grouping, we don't see anywhere. I can't find a sector where you go, oh, wow, wages are rising, you know, six, seven percent a year. And if employers really were having that much trouble finding the workers they need, you'd expect them to be raising wages to, to get them, you know, get them away from their competitors. That's what's supposed to happen, and in other times it has happened. So we really don't see that in a big way. So I think this issue of a skill shortage is overplayed. But at the same time, yes, we should be providing better education, better training, and those who have an opportunity to get for themselves absolutely should. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, uh, I want to ask you about uh, what I've been asking the listeners about how they see the prospects for what the new president says he wants to do with regard to the economy. A major tax reorganization, I guess you might call it, uh, he's, he's, that he's put on the table, uh, as well as massive spending on infrastructure 
the deep cuts that are proposed to social programs, all of those things affect the economy too. What's your what's your sense of, of what he's proposing? Well, a lot of what he's looking to is tax cuts for wealthy people, and these are the people who need them least. <laughs> and, you know, I find that really pernicious because he's looking about paying for it, first and foremost, with cuts to programs like, you know, basically gutting the subsidies in the Affordable Care Act, gutting sure. Medicaid, gutting a lot of other programs that a lot of low- and moderate-income people really come to depend on. So I think that's bad what it does. It doesn't help the economy. I mean, it's not as though if we gave, uh, you know, another million dollars to the richest 1% of the population, a million dollars to each of them, that we'd expect they're going to be investing more. I don't, I, you really can't tell a story. And, you know, one of the things that gets me is we've actually done this experiment twice. We usually don't have the opportunity to experiment with the whole economy. I mean, no one's going to give me, you know, Dean Baker here, what do you want to do with the economy? Go play with it. <laughs> but we actually did this experiment twice. We did it under Reagan. We did it under George W. Bush. It didn't work. We didn't work. see the growth promised. We saw huge deficits. I just can't see an argument for doing it a third time. Yeah. What about the infrastructure spending? I mean, historically, that's a way to to sort of supercharge uh, the economy at times. Yeah, I wish I could be supportive of that. I mean, I you know, I was actually I got a lot of friends angry saying, well, let's see what he puts on the table. Because, you know, if he proposes good infrastructure programs, uh, you know, if we care about the economy, care about people getting jobs, we should support that. Well, what he's putting on the table, it looks like largely uh, kind of, uh, is the shell game. You know, he's proposing these public-private partnerships. Basically, he wants to um, have use public funds to support uh, private companies building infrastructure, building toll roads, toll bridges, other other types of infrastructure that gener- generate a revenue stream, you know, privatizing water systems. We've done these things, and in general, the experience isn't very good. They tend to rip off the government. So, you know, I'm interested in getting good infrastructure. I'm not interested in making Donald Trump's friends even richer. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dean Baker, co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research. Thank you, as always, for being with us on Detroit Today. Sure. Thanks a lot for having me on. Absolutely. All right. Up next, uh, we're going to talk with a conservative economist about what he thinks the uh, of the idea of a looming recession. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. Your city. Your town. Your voice. 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. We are talking this hour about the economy, uh, a period of maybe seven, eight, and almost nine years of growth now following the Great Recession. And we haven't seen a correction or a downturn. We haven't seen the kind of normal up and down of the economy that we are used to. Does that mean that we are close to a pretty major correction happening? And if you think so, then what do you think that will look like in your household? What will that look like uh, in your budget? Uh, Are you trying to get ready for a downturn, uh, making financial decisions a little differently right now, perhaps, because you think there might be a recession this year. Some economists say that the signs are there. 
that we will see a slowdown in 2017 or 2018. Other economists, one that we just talked to, Dean Baker of the Center for Economic and Policy Research, he says he doesn't see those signs, some of the things that led to the Great Recession or the recession in 2001. We want to hear from you about uh, how you're viewing this uh, picture, and we especially want to hear how you put this in the context of what the new president is talking about doing, the economic policies that he's outlined that he would like Congress to help him get put into law, the tax uh, reorganization that he's talking about, massive tax cuts at the top of uh, the income brackets in particular. We've seen that approach before. Do you think that's something that could either push back a recession or maybe welcome one? Uh, also, the infrastructure plan that he's put on the table historically, that's a way that we have girded our economy. 313-577-1019 to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, and uh, we will try to work your comments into the conversation, especially what we want to hear from listeners is, what was your experience during the last recession, the huge recession uh, at the end of the last decade? How did you how did you manage it? Uh, did you figure things out during that downturn that maybe you figure will make you weather the next downturn a little better? That would be uh, an interesting thing to share with listeners. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. And joining me now to help frame this conversation out from more of the right side of the political spectrum is Jeffrey Dorfman. He's a professor in the Agricultural and Applied Economics at the University of Georgia. Jeffrey, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. Always happy to be with you. Yes. No, it's good to hear your voice again. Uh, let's start with uh, the big question here. Uh, are we are we on the precipice of another downturn? This is a long period of time to see growth unmitigated. It's not it's not dramatic growth. It, it, it certainly could be better for a lot of people in a lot of different ways, but it has not been interrupted by a correction or a downturn. Do you see that as uh, perhaps a sign that we should be expecting one sooner rather than later? I think I'm going to agree with Dean Baker here. Um, we are well past the normal time for the next recession, eight years since the last one ended. I think there's a fairly high probability we're going to see a stock market correction or, or a bear market fairly soon, but mm-hmm. I, that's different than an actual recession. Recession, sure. I think we still don't see much in the way of a sign of recession. Job growth is solid. Wage growth is solid. Job openings are very strong. You were asking Dean about, you know, skill gaps and tight labor markets. Mm -hmm. I would agree with you, not him on that one. Employers can't find people to hire. The fact that they're looking for people more than people are looking for jobs suggests the economy is strong, and consumer confidence is at a post-recession high. So all the signs look like the economy is doing just fine. Yeah. Uh, do, do you worry that uh, that some of the things that, uh, that are being talked about, for instance, in terms of policy changes, uh, might either invite a recession sooner or make a coming recession worse? Uh, here I'm thinking about deregulation uh, the deregulation that's been been talked about with with Frank Dodd, for instance, and and some of the other things. I mean, are there things that that we are doing that might 
trigger a slowdown? Sure. Um, so there's only one thing that really worries me. Dodd-Frank and the rollback of financial regulations does not concern me at all because none of those regulations were accomplishing anything. All the stuff Congress passed after the last recession uh-huh. that was supposed to prevent another financial crisis was completely useless. The lobbyists watered it all down. We did nothing to rein in the big banks. In fact, we just helped them get bigger. So I think pulling those away won't help because they weren't any good to begin with. The, The real concern I have is that the Trump administration will do something to start a trade war. And if we get in a trade war, then we'll have a recession. We have big problems, yeah, no question. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones to join the conversation. We are talking about the current economic situation here in the United States and whether we might see a change, a downturn or recession sometime soon. Uh, you can also go to the Facebook Put your comments there uh, on the WDET Facebook page or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today uh, and we'll work your comments into the conversation. Let's go to Peter in uh, Bloomfield Township. Peter, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, how are you? I can't complain, but uh, well, I certainly could in 2008. I had my dream job. I was a uh, professional driver as a test driver for uh, one of the big three, and then 2008 happened. I lost that job, and after a couple of days after that, uh, in my 30s, I ended up enlisting in the Navy. Wow. And after that, I uh, did four and a half years active submarine duty before I eventually came back home uh, to start working my degree on the GI Bill. And now I've got doing that, two kids in diapers and three part-time jobs. Oh, it's, wow. There, there's a lot going on that you try to plan for in the economy, but at the end of the day, as no one has a five-year plan. Who can afford it? And then you got companies that are, say they're looking for people, but they're looking for people that don't exist. They're looking for those who have so many experience or so much experience, but they're fresh out of the gate that can only take so much money. Yes, we're looking for people, and we need this, we need that. But so, so Peter, did I hear you correctly that you're working three part-time jobs? Yes, I'm a uh, professional driving instructor for two different companies, as well as a current drilling reservist, and I've got two kids in diapers, and my wife also has two jobs. She's a teacher and also works retail. Wow, Uh, and. At the, does the combination of those jobs somehow provide you with uh, a suite of benefits, for instance, that uh, that people might expect in a full time job? I mean, do you get health insurance with with I one of those? I get health insurance through my uh, my time served as a drilling reservist, but otherwise, no. Wow. I mean, wow. The, the major cost is time away from family, but at sure. the end of the day, you got to keep yourself in the black and keep the lights on. Right. Now, Peter, uh, thank you very much uh, for the call and and for sharing that story. Uh, Jeffrey Dorfman, uh, what what Peter describes there is not about recession or or growth so much as it is about the sort of fundamental nature of our economy and and of work in our economy. I hear that story a lot, that people are working harder, they're working longer, but can't make ends meet or and, and certainly... Uh, can't get ahead. Those are threats to the overall economic health of the country, even if they are not signs that uh, that we're about to have a recession. I don't think they're threats to the health of the economy. Um, there, there may be more threats to sort of the health of the community. Um, people are putting together part-time jobs. People are doing lots of creative things, partly to finance. Um, lifestyle. We spend a lot of money on things we didn't used to, like cell phones and internet and and the like. Um, and so it, it stresses people out. It, it 
may make it more difficult for people to be happy, uh, have a stable home life, but, but people are struggling through it. And so the economy does okay. The economy doesn't care if you're working one job or three jobs. Sure. Uh, well, I guess, I guess when I say that it's a threat to the economy, I'm thinking of that sort of uh, intergenerational expectation, right? So Peter, uh, who talks about having two small children, uh, he's working three jobs. His wife is working two. They're barely uh, able to, to sort of keep things together. That limits the opportunity to some degree for the children that they're having, or it can't, right? Uh, the, this expectation that each generation does better than the last uh, is, is one of the things that I think people are talking about maybe not being being true. And that has a, an effect on the economy, doesn't it? Well, again, I think it's more a social effect. And it's interesting, there, there have been a number of stories recently about this decline in the probability people will do better than their parents. Uh-huh. And there's two things going on there. One is much of that data has been skewed, and a closer look at it shows the probability is still pretty high that you do better than your parents. Part of it is that we've just gotten a lot richer. When we weren't so rich, it was a lot easier to do, you know, in particular, we had the Depression generation. It was really easy for their kids to do better than them. Sure. And that's really only two generations ago. Now, we're, today's younger generation is trying to be the generation that was rich. So it's, it's simply tougher to do. doesn't mean they're doing horribly, but it's not an easy comparison to beat. Yeah. And so it's clear it's going to come down. Not everybody is going to do better than their parents forever. Um, and, and it's going to be interesting how society adjusts to that. Well, in some ways, what Peter's describing is kind of a throwback to that uh, uh, Great Depression era uh, thinking that, that you just uh, you do what you can to get by. I mean, isn't that a sliding, a sliding backwards? I mean, this is one household with five jobs and two kids. I mean, that, that, that is not, I think, what people would describe as, uh, as the American dream. No, I, I agree with you. It is not what people would describe as the American dream, but you can also describe it as a dedicated, hardworking family where two parents are doing everything within their control to be self-sufficient, responsible, and take care of those kids and give them the best chance they can. So in, in some sense, it's inspiring. It's certainly hard on them, but we should give them a lot of credit for the fact that that. They decided that's what we need to do, and they're going ahead and doing it. Sure, sure. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about the economy. Stay with us. Stay with us on the phones. Anthony in Lincoln Park, David in Royal Oak, Steve in Bloomfield. We will get to you. We'll be right back. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. 
I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Jeffrey Dorfman. He's a professor of agriculture and applied economics at the University of Georgia. We are talking about the economy, the current state of the economy. Eight years without a recession, a pretty long period of time, even though the growth over that time hasn't been particularly robust, it has been consistent. Does that mean that we are sort of on the edge of another downturn, some sort of correction in the economy. And if you think that's true, what are you doing to try to get ready for it? Did you survive the last downturn in a way uh, that has taught you things about what the next downturn can look like for you? And do you think that the things that uh, President Trump is proposing with regard to economic policy will have uh, a good or a bad effect on the likelihood of that next recession or the maybe the depth or duration of that recession. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, uh, or go to Twitter and uh, put uh, hashtag us at uh, Detroit Today and we'll try to work your comments into the conversation. Uh, let's go to David in Royal Oak. David, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, good morning. Hi, how are you? I have uh, two questions for Professor Dorfman. He was kind of dismissive of the financial regulations. The one that I understand best is the margin requirements mm -hmm. that uh, financial firms have to keep more cash or cash equivalent on hands uh, to meet possible downturns. I would like to hear him comment specifically on the margin requirements. Are they a uh, safeguard? The second question uh, is we're talking a lot these days, uh, not me, but others, about decreasing uh, the safety net, particularly health care. When consumers and that that would put the risk on the consumer, right? Right. Um, when consumers see risk, they often respond by cutting back on their spendings to conserve their cash. Sure. Right? That would reduce demand. Is that a risk to the economy? Yeah. Uh, David, wonderful questions. Thank you very much for the call. Jeffrey Dorfman, I'll give you a chance to, to answer those. Sure. Um, yeah, thanks for the question, David. Uh, so capital requirements for banks, uh, I think generally a reasonable uh, regulation that I do not believe uh, the Trump administration is rolling back. Um, they do make loans somewhat more expensive, though, so they do slow the economy uh, in order to try and prevent banks from going under. I don't think it makes a huge difference either way, um, but I, I think they're going to leave that alone. You also asked about decreasing the safety net uh, and whether that would make people save more, spend less, and thus, thus hurt the economy. So two things there. I don't think we're going to see much of a decrease in the safety net. Um, I don't think the Trump administration's proposals in that area are likely to succeed if they do repeal Obamacare or replace it with something uh, that seems to roll that back. I doubt people are going to save more as a response. Um, one of the things people need to remember is that while much is being made of the fact that, that 
some people may lose coverage or not be forced to buy coverage or not get as generous subsidies. Getting subsidized uh, insurance through Obamacare for most families was not that wonderful a thing when most of those policies had, you know, on average sort of $5,000 deductibles and co-pays on top of that. People didn't have the five or $6,000 to pay out of their pocket before they got to the insurance part. So most of what is going to be taken away was a figment of people's imagination to begin with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do, do you worry that uh, that cutting the safety net to the extent that the Republican majority in Congress has suggested it might and that the president has, uh, that always has an effect on the economy. Essentially, you're taking money out of people's pockets at the lower end uh, of the economic spectrum. Those are people who spend, and that spending helps drive the economy. Uh, shouldn't we be worried about that? Uh, no, we shouldn't. This is actually a huge myth, and I know Dean Baker mentioned it uh, in, in his part. So taking money from rich people and giving it to poor people does not help the economy. Uh, and poor people don't spend more than rich people. Um, well, well, they spend more of a percentage of their of their so money. Not than... actually. So rich people do save more. But when they save money, rich people don't bury it in the backyard. They don't hide <laughs> it in their mattress. It's in the they, economy as well. That's right. <laughs> they put it in the bank and lend it to somebody and borrows money to spend it immediately. All the money, whether rich people start with it or poor people start with it, people, in fact, actually buy more domestic products because they tend to get more services. They get a massage, they get a manicure, they go to an expensive restaurant, whereas poor people buy more low-cost Chinese imports at Walmart. Sure. So actually, spending does slightly more for the economy than Poor people spending. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Not sure I would uh, totally agree with that with that interpretation. I'm not but saying I think we that's... should take money from poor people and give it to rich people because it'll be good for the economy. Right. I'm saying essentially it's a wash, and we should stop worrying about that. Spending is spending. Income is income. It's all the same. Whoever has it. Yeah. Uh, let's go quickly before we run out of time here. Let's go to uh, Bill in Bloomfield. Bill, welcome to Detroit today. Uh, yes, thank you for taking my call. Yeah, uh, I was wondering what the uh, economist uh, answer would be to what the social benefits are of permitting billionaires. <laughs> are you saying that uh, in in answer to the discussion about uh, the social benefits of 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 poverty or or working three jobs? Is that instead of a minimum wage, we ought to have a maximum wage of a million dollars a year. I see no social benefit to permitting people to accumulate that kind of power and money in our society. And I'm just wondering what his answer would be. Yeah. Great question. Uh, Jeffrey Dorfman, go ahead. Easy question. Uh, The benefit of billionaires is that we got Microsoft windows. We got life-saving drugs. We got uh, safer cars. We got uh, electric cars. We got faster computers. We got Facebook. We got Twitter. We got Uber. We get all kinds of wonderful things because there's a small number of really driven people who want to make that successful and become incredibly wealthy. 
That's the benefit of billionaires. It it is, and I I guess I wouldn't I wouldn't begin even to argue with that benefit. I think the question is always, uh, what's the balance, right? Uh, There are there are some real downsides to. Actually, there are no downsides. I've never had a a billionaire hurt my life at all, and I've had many of them make my life better. Well, I think there there are things that billionaires do and uh, and promote that make it harder for people who are not billionaires to get to just a level of sustenance. And, and I mean, again, we could probably take two hours arguing about how that looks, but uh, the, the, there, is not, uh, there is not an infinite ability for everyone to become uh, a, a billionaire. There is also, you know, horribly historical, uh, historically horrible imbalances, uh, unfairnesses that that play into who's a billionaire uh, and 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 who's not. I mean, you, you can't ignore those things. And I think, uh, again, you, you've I think really well uh, articulated the benefit of having people who are able to do these great things and move these great uh, these great uh, things forward in our society. There is, I think, uh, there are some downsides that come with that. Uh, with that too, um, let's try to get to, to, to one more call here. Stephen Bloomfield, uh, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, how are you today? Uh-huh, good. How are you? Good, good. Just, uh, just commenting. When, when we're talking about the, the economy going forward, we have to look at where we're coming from, and where we're coming from. The previous eight years, previous administration was one of probably the slowest growing economy in, in my lifetime. I'm 62 years old, mm-hmm. but you have to see, is, is that what we want? And you have to say, how did we get to this, such a slow growth period? And you have to look at the policies and the laws that were enacted that contributed to that. And, Stephen, you keep using the word consistent. It was consistently. What it was was consistently poor and consistently substandard. Uh, okay. And that's how you get out. Well, excuse me. That's how you get outcomes like the highest percentage by a wide margin of 24 to 29-year-old college graduates who have to live with their parents. Yeah, no, no. I, that, I, and I wouldn't argue with outcomes. that, Steve. I, 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 wanna, I, I think that's, a, that's an interesting point. We, we probably wouldn't – you and I wouldn't agree. I want to give Jeffrey Dorfman – uh, a chance to to respond to it. We've got about a minute left in the show. Sure, I think the the reason the economy has been growing more slowly than normal the last eight years is because the government intervened so forcefully during the recession to try and make the recession shallower and less painful. And so, because the government intervened more than it had ever done before. We got slower growth in the recovery. That means the recession wasn't as bad, right. and then the recovery is not as good. It sort of smoothed things out. Sure, and and so I guess the question is, and, and again, we're running out of time. But if you withdraw that government intervention, uh, do you do you create faster growth? I mean, and, and, yeah. yeah, we would if we have, if we could get less government, we would have much faster growth. Okay. All right, Jeffrey Dorfman. Professor of Agricultural and Applied Economics at the University of Georgia. As always, thanks for joining us on Detroit Today. Always happy to be with you. Absolutely. It's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. This is 101.9 WDET, Detroit's public radio station of community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.